Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What it do, episode 87 for the love of the game. Let's roll. Fly with the stars in the skies I am no longer trying to survive I believe that life is a prize But to live doesn't mean you're alive Don't worry about me and who I fire I get what I desire, it's my empire And yes, I call the shots, I am the umpire I sprinkle holy water upon the vampire In this very moment, I'm king In this very moment, I slay Goliath with a sling This very moment, I bring Put it on everything That I will retire with the ring And I will retire with the crown Yes, no, I'm not lucky, I'm blessed Yes, clap for the heavyweight champ Me, but I couldn't do it all alone We, young money raised me Grew up out in Baisley Southside Jamaica, Queens and it's crazy Cause I'm still hood, Hollywood couldn't change me Shout out to my haters, sorry that you couldn't phase me Ain't being cocky, we just vindicated Best believe that when we done this moment We'll be syndicated, I don't know This night just remind me of Everything they deprived me of your drinks up it's a celebration every time we link up we done did everything they could think all right uh quick turnaround from your boy it's episode 87 for the love of the game i'm aaron tobin hess if you didn't already know by now now you know back to regular scheduled programming lighter topics talking sports that are actually happening between the lines i i first and foremost i want to say thank you to my good friend ari hoffman for a great conversation regarding the nba stoppage last week it was really a great talk but back to normal sports topics. A lot to talk about since the last time we discussed normal sports topics. So here we are. Let's dive right in. So the New York Yankees, we'll start with them. Right now, they are a straight-up disaster. They had a seven-game losing streak. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games and have been playing really bad baseball. Everybody's on the injured list. Aaron Judge has done two stints on the injured list and back on the injured list. Giancarlo Stanton on the injured list. Glaber Torres on the injured list. DJ LeMayu was on the injured list, just got off. Uh, same with Zach Britton. I mean, they had 11 players on the IL at once, and a lot of them were their starters and their star players. They also blew two games versus the Mets, the damn New York Mets. And if it wasn't for a doubleheader sweep Sunday against those same New York Mets, which involved two extra inning wins and comfort behind wins, they would have been really in the shitter lately. Uh, yeah, the bad uh, – it just really – not not great. The bad baseball has gotten to Garrett Cole as well, who's gotten hit hard in his last two starts. No bueno, to say the least. If they can just weather this storm and get their guys back, they'll be okay. But it would be really nice if Cole regains his dominant form and if they actually win a game or two against the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. That would be really, really nice. Recently has been a very tough stretch in Yankee land. The U.S. Open, my favorite tennis tournament of the year, kicked off Monday, an event that I attend at least once a session. Well, obviously not this year, so that's kind of a bummer, but good to see it back uh, on the air. No Nadal or Federer for the men's draw, so it takes a lot of steam out of this year's tournament, not going to lie. But Andy Murray is back after a brief retirement absence uh, because of his uh, knee injuries. Well, and he had a gutsy, gritty, comfort-behind win today. He was down two sets to love, won the third in the tiebreak, and then won the last two sets as well. Good to see him back, even if I'm not the biggest Andy Murray guy. 
but he's a past champion and deserves some respect. Good for him. As for the women's draw, well, honestly, I know next to nothing about what's going on there. Need to do some research. But here's a fun fact. So Serena Williams rented a house in my hometown of Great Neck that has a tennis court uh, for the duration of the tournament. So that's cool. But, yeah, I look forward to watching some daytime tennis for the next two weeks. Quick college football update. So the Big Ten, which cancels, so the Big Ten, which canceled its season right after announcing its schedule, well, it looks like they're trying to have a season, and it's going to start end of October, early November. This comes after the fact that the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 all didn't cancel. They're going to try and play. The Pac-12 has canceled their season at the moment of this recording, and it doesn't look like they're trying to actually play this year. But yeah, so it's all becoming about money and politics and gross incompetence of the Big Ten's leadership. Is That is on full display. I mean, it's kind of just a shit show. I just don't understand why they had the, to rush to cancel the season, especially when they had just released the schedule like a day before. Like, why not wait to make a decision until the absolute last minute? Like, it seems like the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 are doing. I, I just don't get it. I may be talking more about this next week, so we shall see how everything unfolds in the next two days. But, yeah, college, spo college sports, especially college football, uh, major slippery slope right now given the climate with the COVID-19. On to the NBA and the actual play on the hardwood, which will be the main topic of tonight's show. I'll be bringing back a certain guest for a second time around after he was great on his first time on this excellent program, if I should say so myself. But yeah, just a few quick bullet points uh, that need to be addressed before getting into tonight's interview and discussion. First, so I was wrong about the Lakers. They handled business after losing game one. And to all the Laker fans out there, after they beat Portland in five games, especially to a certain members of a WhatsApp group, congrats on the first playoff series win since 2012. Mazel tov, you guys. You beat a beat-up team with a hobble Damian Lillard for a game and a half. A hobbled C.J. McCollum, no Zach Collins. So congrats to you guys for advancing uh, past the first round. It's been eight years since your last playoff series win. So celebrate it. Really celebrate it. And guess what? I'll be picking against them in the next round regardless of the matchup. More on this a little bit later. Luka Doncic, one of the stars of round one. What else is there to say about this guy? Yeah, the Clippers beat the Mavericks four games to two. But Luka went out against two of the best four or five perimeter defenders in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and balled out. This was his Michael Jordan in 1986 type of moment. For the series in which he had no Kristaps Porzingis for games four through six, and he, and Kristaps was thrown out of game one on a bogus technical foul, Luka averaged, I repeat, averaged 31 points per game, 8.7 assists per game, 9.8 rebounds per game, shooting 50% from the field. And this was on a bad ankle for half the series. He gave us his first of probably many great playoff performances in game four, putting up 43, 17 rebounds, 13 assists on a bad ankle without Porzingis, who, by the way, Kristaps Porzingis had played great since he entered Orlando. Basically, the entirety of his time in Orlando, he had been awesome. I've always said he's better than Carl Anthony Towns, and I stick by it. And yeah, and anyway, back to Luca. He hit that unreal game-winning step-back three at the buzzer. An unreal step-back game-winning three. Just ridiculous. 
It was insane stuff. Did I mention that Kawhi and Paul George are two of the four or five best perimeter defenders in the league and that the Clippers are widely considered favorites to win the whole thing? Oh, and he's only 20 years old? I mean, it's crazy. The body control he has, the vision, the understanding angles at an insanely sophisticated eye level, it's insane. I don't even know what else to say. And to think he has so much room for improvement if he limits those one or two bad force Harden-type step-back threes a game, he starts shooting 35% from three consistently and ups his free throw percentage about 80%. I mean, look out, because then he's the modern-day remix to Larry Bird. I mean, good Lord, is he special. And three, last point before uh, tonight's uh, interview, or I should say discussion, is uh, so Colin Coward said this on his show a couple of days ago, and he's 100% right. A lot has been made about the lack of defense in Orlando, that the scoring is up in the bubble. And yes, some team defenses and some of the schemes, while the coaches have been slow to adjust in certain cases, but that's not what's really happening here. What's really happening is the shot-making ability and the level to which guys are making ridiculously tough and contested shots, especially from deep, is insane. It's absolutely insane. There's only so much that these defenders can do in terms of contesting a shot. You contest, you get up as close as you can, but honestly, at this point, with the skill level that these guys have, it's hope for the best. The top-level players in this league are so insanely offensively gifted that it's just wild. There's really nothing you can do on defense. There's nothing you can do, and it's it's a make-or-miss league, and I know that sounds cliche, but look at what we've seen from Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell as a prime example. Like a lot of these shots that they're making are well contested by guys who are three to four inches taller than them at certain points. And it just doesn't matter that the skill level and the shot making is insane. So for all the boomers out there who are just lamenting the days of old with the NBA and the lack of defense, like if you really paid attention to what's going on, you just have to appreciate how skilled these guys are offensively and the shots that they're willing to make and willing to take. Um, Now, Ryan Russillo brought up a great point. Now, these are the top end guys. If you have, you know, middle tier to lower tier guys trying to shoot these types of shots, or you have guys in college looking at these top end NBA players and these prospects who are not that level taking these shots. Yeah, maybe it'll get ugly, but you really can't stress enough just how skilled the top end of this league is offensively and the shot making is is just absolutely wild. And with that said, uh, we're going to bring on our recurring guest in just a moment. Okay, I teased it before. We're bringing back what is now considered, I should say, who is now considered a recurring guest. This is his second time on the show. It's none other than uh, NBA Twitter's Mr. Aaron Perlstein coming live from Tulane University. Aaron, what is happening, man? How you doing? Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure. Uh, you acquitted yourself nicely the first time around, so was was very happy to bring you back. First of all, uh, oh, yeah. just give everybody an update in terms of what what a uh, a college campus is like right now in the uh, era of COVID nineteen. Before we uh, we dive right in, uh, I know Tulane's doing uh, an awesome job compared to a lot of other schools. You know, 
we're being able to do a lot of in-person classes. You know, there's a lot of technology and social distancing and everyone wearing masks involved, but, um, you know, I'll take it for having to being around in an in-person class. You know, I, I, I took those for granted for all the months that we were at home and <laughs> being by ourselves, you know, as much as classes and fun, it's, it's, it's really nice to be around people. So, but it's, it's very different. You know, everyone's walking around with a little more hesitancy, I would say, you know, everyone has masks on everyone. It's just, it's just so weird to think about, you know, we left school a few months ago thinking like there was this uh, virus coming to America and now we're back and everyone's wearing masks and it's just, it's just crazy. It's still an exceedingly weird time, but, uh, and the NBA has gone through it and they've dealt with it uh, pretty well. Uh, so yeah, let's ju jump right into the NBA. So uh, most of round one is done so far. I mean, we have a game seven tonight, uh, Denver, yeah. Utah, which will be uh, basically airing right after this episode uh, records. So we won't know right. what happens there. Uh, and then we have a game seven uh, tomorrow night, Oklahoma City and Houston. So uh, things you've learned from round one so far. What were you right about in terms of predictions for round one? What were you wrong about? What was your biggest surprise? I got to say, I, it feels like I wasn't right about much. <laughs> I thought a lot of teams <laughs> were going to breeze by. It seemed like a lot of teams were going to breeze by, but, you know, they, they had a little rust on them. You know, I thought the Bucks, I thought the Lakers, I thought the Clippers were going to come out a little better than they did. But I'm glad that they, all three of those teams kind of got it together. And uh, I think they're going to have a much better second round. Uh, my biggest surprise, um, I would say Utah. I thought that series would be over quickly. And I'm a big, I'm a big Nuggets believer. Um, you know, I've thought, I thought they were going to win the series this whole time, even when they were down 3-1. Um, but Utah has shown me a lot. Um, compared to the regular season that they've had in the bubble because their offense was so stagnant. They were last in offensive rating, offensive points per game. But, you know, they're showing a lot more. You know, I think that has a lot to do with Donovan Mitchell just playing out of his mind. But Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about this in, in a second. But, yeah, go ahead. Yep. No, uh, and then I also think the Raptors are obviously surprising me a little bit. You know, obviously I'm a big fan of them and I talked a lot about them last time I was on, uh, but I wasn't really expecting them to like cruise through the Nets Like they beat them by 20 plus points every game, but you know, they're having trouble now against the Celtics, but um, I'm still a big believer in them. Yeah. I, um, so my biggest, obviously thing that I was wrong about in terms of uh, when I was previewing the playoffs was, I thought that I really thought the Blazers could give the Lakers a series and I actually <laughs> picked them to win in seven. Maybe that was a uh, Laker hater Aaron talking, but I thought Damian Lillard was giving them a problem. I didn't realize that his knee was as messed up as it was, especially for the last, right. uh, you know, game four. And then he missed game five. Uh, CJ McCollum obviously wasn't completely right. There was no Zach Collins. So I was obviously really wrong about that. So congratulations again to the Lakers for winning their first playoff series in eight years uh go celebrate it accordingly um what i so that's what i was wrong about i should say what i was what i was right about was or i should also say what i was wrong about the utah jazz i mean mm -hmm. and we're gonna and we're gonna start with that series afterwards because I, that's got to be the talk of the first round uh besides for luka Doncic, but the jazz aren't deep i thought denver was gonna win five i know denver has a history of making things super interesting, way more interesting than they have been, than they should be. But they got 
beaten down hard in games two, three, or four. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. they weren't really close games. So for Utah, for a team that really lacks depth, and that showed in a big way in games five and six to be in the position there and to still win this series is um, is it was pretty surprising. Uh, I, I was right about the the Clippers Mavericks being a super entertaining series. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was definitely also wrong about just the way that Philly went out. I mean, just right. the shameful way that Philadelphia went out. I thought Embiid yeah. would win at least one or two games by himself. So, yeah, most of most of you know round one was chalk, but those were a couple of things I was wrong about. And the biggest surprise, besides for just how pathetic Philly was, was uh, I would say the Utah Jazz and how competitive that series has been. And um, also Jamal Murray turning into a supernova because yeah, I, I, mean, I didn't see that happen. Crazy. Right. No, it's been crazy. Uh, I haven't seen anything like this. You know, coming out of Kentucky, uh, you know, they all, Kentucky obviously has a great track record for point guards. Uh, if you look at it, Eric Bledsoe, John Wall, and, you know, Jamal Murray coming in, he was a top 10 pick, but he never really showed anything. And when they gave him that contract extension last year, uh, a lot of people questioned it. But, I mean, he's it's not only that he's scoring an absurd amount, it's that it's so efficient. I mean, he's shooting 57% from three, and, like, that's ungodly. Like, I don't, I don't really understand what's gotten into him, but this is exactly what the Nuggets have needed. You know, a second score, a second, someone that they could actually rely on in late game, and it will make a big difference for them if they could get past Utah. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about this Denver-Utah series. So we start with the Jamal Murray uh, supernova stuff. I mean, in the last <laughs> three games, he is averaging 47 points a game, about – eight rebounds a game and about eight assists a game shooting over 60% from the floor, 57% from three and with only five total turnovers. All right. Yep. Now just, (laughs) that's one of the greatest offensive stretches in NBA history. And this is for a guy who, you know, has never averaged 20 points a game. Who's never shot Mm. more than 35% from three. I mean, what the hell's going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I, I don't I don't know where this came from. And those five turnovers, they, they, they came in one game. Both two games before that, he was they were perfect. You know, that 50-point, uh, 11 rebounds, seven assists game in game four was unbelievable. Uh, game five, actually. And, uh, you know, I think the, the biggest thing, he is just – he's a winner. And he's showing that now. You know, I think uh, he had – he has like a few years under his belt now and uh, he's just showing that he's a winner. He's someone that they can um, rely on. And, you know, I'm a big analytics guy, but when I watch the games, he's one of the people that uh, you, it kind of j- like is, is what the traditional NBA fan thinks about when they start debating with an analytics fan, you know, he's just someone that you put the ball in his hands and he's going to score. And the defense just has to let him get his, you know, and uh, he's, yeah, he's just a baller, it seems like, you know? So it's interesting you talk about strategy and let the defense get his. And I, I want to ask you a couple of questions before that. Uh, just hold that thought for a second. So, but, mm-hmm. but what was your opinion of Jamal Murray as a player before this series started? You know, he was more of an off guard. He was someone that, you know, could always score, could always put up a lot of shots. Maybe, I think he shot around, you know, 14 a game in the regular season. Um, someone that was a good 
catch and shoot player, but I never really saw the playmaking through him. You know, it was it was really they played through Jokic. Um, Jamal Murray was there just to kind of rack up the points. Um, but in this series, he's shown me that he can playmake. He can be that facilitator and primary ball handler. Yeah, I I, I mean the two man game that they have with him and Jokic has been beautiful. And it's kind of flipped that Jokic was doing a lot of the initiating and it was run through a lot of Jokic. And now it's Jamal Murray initiating and Jokic, who's, yeah. you know, going to be probably first team all NBA and one of the 10 best players in the league is kind of almost taking a secondary role. But like, how can you not? The guy, the guy is just on fire like we've never seen. I mean, my, I always yeah. thought of Jamal Murray as like a nice player. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Ryan Rosillo, I thought, described him best before these last three games. Like, he was a classic 30 and 13 guy. Like, in a big right. game, you don't know what you're going to get. Are you going to get 30 points in a dominant game or 13 points or, and, you know, going out, you know, super quietly and, and his impact being, you know, next to nothing, which is what happened in games two and three. Uh, right. But, but I, I was always of the opinion that, he was the spot that they needed to upgrade if Denver was really serious about winning a title. Like I was adamant, like he's the guy to trade, you know, because, you know, Porter who had, who's had, you know, major ups and downs, especially on defense, but has shown the flashes he's shown. And um, I, I just love Michael Porter, even though he hasn't shot the ball well recently, just, yeah. just everything about him um, minus the, the defense. But again, he's a rookie who hasn't really played all year. Uh, to be mm-hmm. thrust into playing high-level NBA defense. But, yeah, but back to Jamal Murray, I thought that that was the trade that, n- that needed to happen. I-, I was really dubious of the contract, and, and now I-, I don't even know what to think. I don't know what to think because yeah, no. after this, I don't think you could trade the guy. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, I'm, a, I'm big into the draft and, you know, thinking about team needs, and I've had to tinker with, around like with Denver's 22 22nd pick in the first round, because I thought that they've kind of had to, you know, there's a total direction in terms of they need a ball handler on this team. You know, Jamal Murray could take that second guard position, but they, they just found so much trouble. They couldn't get through Jokic, but this has totally revamped everything. Um, You know, Jamari Grant, uh, Grant's playing well, Michael Porter, like you said, uh, Torrey Craig, they're getting good minutes from. Uh, you know, this is totally revamped what I think they have to do in the offseason. And it's more in the sense now that Jamal Murray is a player that they need to, you know, keep happy and continue to build around like shooters around him. What I find crazy is the fact that, you know, and, and we haven't even mentioned him yet. Donovan Mitchell's been matching him basically shot for shot because <laughs> he's been on a yep. tear, too. I mean, game six was absurd. I mean, game one right. was absurd. Almost all the game five was absurd. All the games have been absurd. Yeah. So if you're, I mean, oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, I, I, last game, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Like in, in terms of a real game, not like a a pickup or an all star game, I've never seen anything like those two players going at it. Um, I didn't really understand why both teams kept going under screens when they were guarding them. It really infuriated me. But, uh, like, I have never seen anything like that. So it's interesting you say that, and that's a perfect transition because we're going to talk about adjustments a little bit in terms of X's and O's for Game Mm. 7. Jokic in Games 2, 3, and 4 was getting absolutely destroyed when he was playing pick-and-roll defense and he was dropping uh, in coverage. 
right? To yep. uh, to protect yep. the protect the role, and it was just it just wasn't working. I mean, Denver's yep. defense was getting absolutely thrashed, right? And now Rudy Gobert right. is finding himself in a pickle too, in terms of getting absolutely destroyed in pick and roll coverage. Now Jokic made the adjustment of like, hey, listen, if if the back end behind me is going to be a problem anyway, let me at least play all the way up and have everybody else deal with that, right? So he's right, so right. he's pressing all the way up on the pick and roll. Now, yeah, Donovan Mitchell's still making ridiculous shots, but it's been somewhat successful. Uh, I, I mean, yes. what do you see? What do you see uh, for Utah to have a um, have a chance? Like, are there any adjustments they can make, or is it more just like, let's hope the guy doesn't shoot sixty percent from three again and drop fifty on us? Like at that point, yeah. there's only so much you can do. No. Yeah, no, I mean, like what, like I was saying, Jamal Murray is one of those guys that he's just built to score the ball. Um, and I think what you have to do with him is you have to contain all the other parts of his game. Uh, he's someone that you could just, like like I said, let him get his. Uh, you know, continue letting him throw up threes. And if he's going to shoot 60%, he's going to shoot 60%, you know. Uh, I think it's more of containing shooters. You know, there's too many times. And uh, Torrey Craig... Um, PJ Dozier is just wide open, like in wide open in the NBA's definition is six plus feet with it without a vendor. And there's too many, too many of those shots in the, in the game. And I think, um, they need to contain that. And I think they, they shouldn't spotlight Jamal Murray and their defensive presence. They should spotlight trying to contain his looks, his opportunities to get other people open. So you wouldn't give him the Damian Lillard treatment and like trap at half court, get the ball out of his hands and make other people beat you. I mean, with a team like the Lakers, with all that defensive uh, flexibility and intensity with Anthony Davis being able to guard one through five and LeBron James also, uh, I would, but I don't see anyone on Utah really being that big of a lockdown defender. You know, there's Royce O'Neal is probably their best defender on the court. Um, I don't think he's fast enough big enough to really stay with Jamal Murray full court. So I think it's more in the sense that you can't look to contain him like the, like the Damian Lillard was with the Lakers. You just have to start centering your defense around trying to contain his opportunities to get other people involved. I would tend to agree with you, especially because, you know, Jokic is one of the best playmakers. So if you set a high ball screen and you have Jokic, um, you know, basically running four on three offense, like they're going to be dunks everywhere. But at this point, like I can't let the guy get 50 again. I just can't, you know, I'm going to take right. my chances with, with Craig shooting threes. I'm going to take my p chances with Michael Porter shooting threes. And if Jeremy Grant, you know, goes 18 points, four or seven from three, I'm going to lose, but at least I'll feel better that the guy didn't just have his way. Right. Just didn't right. have his right. way. And no. I think the other thing, that I heard about um, on a couple of different, you know, shows was the idea that Rudy Gobert switch onto another player and not guard Jokic, um, yep. so that he's not involved in the pick and roll. That because he's getting yep. destroyed, maybe he can just do something else in terms of being a help defender. Whether he guards like Paul Millsap when Millsap is in the game, even though I think it's been clear that Denver should play Millsap next to no minutes because he's been terrible. Um, right. I, I just, I just can't let the guy just go off and feel comfortable again. I, no, I, just, I yeah. 
Yeah, no, I get that. I think, uh, obviously, you never wanted someone dropping that many points on you. And I think it, it does have to do with the intensity. Um, that has to change. You know, there's so many times uh, in the pick and roll, they're going under. It's not only on Rudy Gobert. You know, his guard is going under. Jamal Murray's getting a wide open three um, multiple times. Even if he's off balance, he clearly has shown that, like, that's in his bag. You need to guard that. And uh, I think the biggest thing is, yeah, that's a great idea to get Rudy Gobert off someone else. I'm a big believer in the best kind of defense is the defense that everyone can kind of guard everyone. And um, if you get Rudy Gobert off of Jokic and being able to be the rim protector and cut off Jamal Murray's drive, as well as, you know, helping out on Jokic, um, I think that would be much better. But I think it comes down to Utah. They're just not known for their defensive flexibility. You know, when they get uh, kneeing on the court or um, when they bring in um, Jordan Clarkson, these guys, they're not, they're not good defenders. You know, they're not good team defenders. They're not good personal defenders and they get eaten alive. And, you know, they have to find a way to shadow that. And that's why I've never really been big on Utah because they have one defender with Rudy Gobert and he can't do everything. Everyone else is kind of just hoping that he's at the, when uh, someone beats them and, you know, they need to turn, figure out some kind of way to continue to move around and help defense from everyone. But, um, you know, that's what it's going to come down to. They just don't have good defenders on the court. It's funny you say that because, like, Joe Ingles is a smart defender. Um, Royce yeah, O'Neal. He's not lateral quick at all. He's just right. Quick so, all. like, this has just been, you know, he's tried Jamal Murray. Hasn't worked. Uh, Royce yeah. O'Neal is probably best equipped. That hasn't really worked. Mike Connolly, over his career, has been a good defender um, or solid defender. That hasn't worked. And Donovan Mitchell has the tools to be a good defender, um, but sometimes is really undisciplined. And when a guy's shooting 60%, you know, the undisciplined uh, part really shows up and he's gotten torched. Right. And you mentioned Jordan right. Clarkson and Niang, who are, who are not only just bad defenders, but they're also bad offensive players. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just I been a mess. <laughs> it's just been a mess. And like, and, you know, we mentioned Donovan Mitchell before that he's basically done everything and he results, you know, and sometimes he goes into these moments where he just doesn't want to pass the ball to anybody and feels right. no confidence when passing the ball. And I, I think we spoke about this the last time you were on, like my whole thing about Rudy Gobert, right? You know, all the advanced metrics and you, and you mentioned it before, all the, the advanced analytics versus like the eye test, like the advanced analytics love Rudy Gobert. He's a great screener. You know, he's, he's a great defensive player, but like, Every time Donovan Mitchell throws him the ball, it, you can see the pain in his eyes because right. Gobert just can't do anything with it, right? He can't do anything right. with no, it. I it looks like he's going to trip over his feet. And, like, right. Mitchell just has nobody helping him out. Yeah, no, I agree. I think they're really missing Bogdanovich's shooting. I think that was yeah. a big thing that helped him in the regular season. You know, it spaced the floor for Mitchell. And he's a lethal shooter. And I think when he went down, there was a lot of confidence that went down in Utah. Um, and uh, I think he was more a, a bigger pivotal player on the offensive end than Mike Conley and all these other players. And I agree. I mean, I can think specifically, I remember one game, like at the end of the game, uh, when he passed it to Rudy Gobert and Rudy Gobert thought for a second and then put it on the ground and then got fouled. And, you know, he's not a good free throw shooter, so they weren't happy. And I remember Mitchell just being so pissed that he didn't just go up with it right away or think of something else to do. And I agree. You know, I think uh, Mitchell, 
the difference between Mitchell and Murray right now is Mitchell needs to do this to keep Utah in the game. Murray is just showing me that he's just a scorer. And if you put, and he has shooters around him, and if everyone, you know, if everyone's hitting, they're a lethal team. But with Mitchell, I think it's more in the sense that he needs to score this much to keep them in the game. Yeah. So, I mean, we obviously just basically buried the Utah Jazz. But again, it is a 3-3 series. Um, So how do you think Game 7 plays out? And for Utah to win, what is the, the the key thing that needs to happen for Utah to win? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to the defensive end. Um, you know, like I said, uh, I think everyone has to band together, help defense, not just swipe. You know, that's Jordan Clarkson's favorite thing to do is not actually shift over and take the charge, but to just swipe at the ball and foul the guy. Um, I think they all have to just be ready. And, you know, they're all looking to, um, you know, they love to run the fast break and they're trying to run right away. But I think they really just have to, you know, kind of emphasize the defensive end. And if they could do that, you know, if they can contain Murray and somewhat, I'd say keep the ball in Jokic's hands as much as you want, regardless of how good of a passer he is. I'd much rather in his hands at this point than Jamal Murray's. Um, and other than that, just, you know, shoot the ball well, you know, make your shots. Royce O'Neal has to make those wide open shots he gets. Um, Niang has to, you know, he's he's on the court for a reason. He's a, he's a three-point shooter, but I'm pretty sure he went like, he's, he's going like four for 16 in this uh in this one series from three, he's not someone that the defense has to even think about anymore. And that can't happen. You know, it's game seven. Everyone has to, you know, band together and do their part. And, but I don't see it happening. I think Denver, um, they're too much on a roll at this point. So for me, if Utah is going to win, I need two things. The first one is obvious. Mm -hmm. Jamal Murray can't shoot 60% from the the field, (laughs) hit nine threes and score 50. All right. Yeah. That's number one. That makes sense. No, <laughs> pretty, pretty logical, right? You just have to hope and pray right, sometimes. Right. You just have to hope and pray. Right. Um, two is I need Joe Ingles to get me 15 to 20 points. I need him mm-hmm, to look mm-hmm. to shoot. I need him to stop passing up open threes and, and stop being so unselfish. Like I need him to score. Uh, because right. Mitchell can't be expected to score 40 to 50 himself. Which he's been doing. Um, I, I just, I, I, I was higher on Denver beforehand, so I think they're going to win Game Seven. Uh, would I be shocked if Utah won? Because Denver's so Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, no, I won't. Um, but one last thing before we go on to the OKC Houston series. Uh, theoretical trade that I heard on on one of the Ringer shows. If Jamal Murray was offered in a deal for uh, Ben Simmons. To Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Who says no? Oh, boy. Who says no? Uh, wow. I mean, I could see pros and cons for both sides. I say the Nuggets have to be the one that says no in that situation. Wow. Um, I got to say, as much as I'm a big fan of Ben Simmons' game, the way that Jamal Murray would compliment Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid is electric. You know, all they've needed is that point guard that could – that the defense has to trust and guard outside, give Embiid more space, you know, be there for fast break points and a pick and pop for Tobias Harris. Like, that's exactly what they've needed, a shooter at that one position. And if I was Elton Brand, you know, it would take a lot for me to do it, but I would pull the trigger on that. But the Nuggets, you know, it's it's tough to say 
yeah, I want Jokic and Ben Simmons on the court together because you're going to end up with an Embiid-Simmons situation. Interesting. I, I don't know. I, I don't – before before this series, if you said Ben Simmons for Jamal Murray and a first-round pick, I would say if you're Denver, you do whatever you can do to do it because with Simmons' yeah, passing, right. Jokic's passing, and, and, you know, the defender that Ben Simmons is, he's one of the five best defenders in the league, at least he was this year, you would do it. But now I just – I'm not sure you could do it. And I guess you right. just have to ride this out and see what's up and try and fill in around the edges. It's just crazy. I mean, the shot making in today's <laughs> NBA is is absurd. I, I mean, the, right. these guys' ability to make shots from deep, contested, it's just it's just out of control. And and right. you know, and Murray right, so like, and in that sense. Yeah. Oh, in that sense, I'm not a big believer that you need both. Simmons and Jokic, you know, I would rather have a shooter on the court with one of them than have both of them who, you know, they both flip flop around the shooting. They both need a lot of space if they're going to actually hit that three. Um, so to me, because of that point that I totally agree with that these guys, they're so good that they could just hit so many nice deep shots. I'd rather have Contested a shooter. Contested too. Contested yeah. too. So I, right. So I'd rather have a shooter there. I, I can't really fault the logic, but yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited for that game. So let's move on to Oklahoma City, Houston. So game six was last night. Oklahoma mm-hmm. City wins in a tight game. Um, they seem to always win tight games. Uh, yep. What were your th- What are your thoughts on this series so far? You know, it's just infuriating. Um, I've told everyone that my big, big, bold prediction is that I think the Houston Rockets are going to come out of the West. Um, now that's, you know, dwindling out of me. Everyone's like, you really think that's still? And I was like, I want to. But, uh, you know, what I saw from late game last night, it was so, like, it was just so mad. I wanted to run on that court myself, you know. And as much as people are like, you know, Russell Westbrook, get it out of your hands. Like, what are you doing? That, that pass at the end, it just seems like he's never played basketball before. It made you so mad. But I think it's the fault really on James Harden. Um, he didn't yes, see what he wanted I'm at all. This. Yes. Okay. Go off. Continue. I mean, to come out today with all these press press reports, Mike D'Antoni says the, the the play was for James Harden. James Harden says the play was for Russell Westbrook. I mean, I would trust Mike D'Antoni first of all. And but those last three minutes, he seems so winded. He seems so out of it. Um, but he has to understand he's the best scorer of this generation one-on-one that we've had in this generation. And that ball needs to be in his hands regardless of he wants it or not. And it just made me so mad to see what happened in those last few possessions. Like, I I just – Houston's so much better than going to game seven with the OKC. As much – you know, I give OKC tons and tons of credit. You know, Chris Paul is 100 – I mean, he's the number one in clutch points by far this year. Uh, It's something that is insane to me. but it's more in the sense that the Rockets are losing this game because of them. And, you know, they're getting their shots. Their offense is working. You know, they're getting their open looks from three. They're not hitting many of them. But late game, they look atrocious. So before, before I, I, I comment on, on all the things you said, are you two things? One, uh, Kobe Bryant's the best one-on-one scorer we've seen this generation since Michael Jordan. Let's just, all right, fine. I'll give you that. Okay, fine. fine. All right. So now we got that out of the way. Um, 
Are you generally, and, and I forget uh, from the last time we spoke, are you generally a hardened apologist or a hardened hater? I gotta or say, detractor, I should say. What? I would. I'm a. I'm a Harden fan. I think he's show. He has supreme skill. He's one of those guys that, of course, I love analytics. But game on the line or one on one, I want it in his hands because he is so skilled. The most skilled scorer this in this NBA right now, uh, by a wide margin for me. Um, you know, I see what he can do. Uh, the defense, like you can't really guard him. You can only contain him. And until he understands that, until he fully understands that, Rocket Team is not going anywhere. So, yeah. I mean, I am a hardened detractor. I always mm-hmm. go back to uh, all, the, all the times where he's just come up small in the playoffs over his entire career, how the fact that he's shied away from the big shot. And last night was just another example of that. Now, when yeah. they say that it was supposed to be a... a, a a guard-on-guard screen, and that Westbrook was, you know, Harden was supposed to screen for Westbrook, and the ball was supposed to get back to Harden. Fine, whatever semantics. But, I mean, there are too many, there are too many plays down the stretch in playoff games where Harden is just standing at the half-court line, like, not doing anything, right? He's not trying to get the ball. He's not trying to cut. He's not doing anything. Like, we can't have this. If that's the way it's going to be, then you know what? I don't care what you do, what D'Antoni says, then say in the huddle, like, I'm getting the ball from, you know, the inbounder then. I mean, come on right. now. Like, like have the stones. And, you know, Westbrook is a complicated character in terms of uh, basketball people. I'm a Westbrook fan because I've, you know, and I've obviously he's been super rusty, hadn't played in a while, had the – um had the quad issue, and he looked rusty last night. No, not fully back. But I at least give him credit to whether it's good or bad that he's willing to live with the results and he's willing to be the decider, you know, in the last couple of moments. And he's Jekyll and Hyde. I get it. But at least he has the stones to do it. Like, Harden, where are you, man? No, I agree. And I think, like you said, like you corrected me about Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant was one of those guys Late game, in that huddle, he's saying, I, I have the ball, get out of the way. And people respected him because they know he's going to score. And I, I don't understand why James Harden's not doing that. I, I don't understand. You know, as much as I want to hate on Russell Westbrook for having seven turnovers last night in 27 minutes and him being atrocious, you know, that air ball and then that horrible turnover at the end, um, he's rusty. You know, he's coming back from an injury. You know, there's, I don't expect, a, like, so much more from Russell Westbrook in terms of, of uh you know efficiency but I, I think a lot of the blame has to go to James Harden and just his mantra and his intensity you know I think he's wanted he he thought this was going to be a breeze first round and he's ready for the Lakers but guess what yeah, you're into a game seven now you might not even get to the Lakers it's funny Russ actually shot the ball better for the most part than James Harden did last night even though he had a right. horrifically bad uh layup miss in the fourth quarter, but his passing late in the fourth quarter was absolutely atrocious. So now that we've kind of, you know, crapped all over Houston for a little bit, uh, I want to give a little bit of shine to the Oklahoma City Thunder, a team that I had, I I have a soft spot for, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander has actually been pretty bad this entire series, but Mm -hmm. someone who I've been out on for the last 
four or five years, Chris Paul. I just hated right. watching him play. I hated the fact that he used to bitch and moan all the time, all the flopping. You know, that that Clippers team the last two years always came up small and would bitch and moan like crazy. It was just infuriating. And then his time with the Rockets was infuriating. But I've loved watching Chris Paul this year. And for better or for worse, like what Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul has the stones to say – I'm going to decide this game. I don't care what everybody else is doing, right? I don't care that Dennis right, Schroeder right. is four of whatever and, and not doing it. Like, I'm I'm taking this home. And he's only like five foot right. 11. So I'm all the way back in on Chris Paul. I actually picked Oklahoma City to win in seven before the series started. But I, I, I transitioned to this because Houston looks great some games and they look terrible other games. but. You know, the variance is is really high-end where they could make a run with everything click, uh, excuse me, clicking correctly. Um, right. Do you see either of these teams as a, as a threat to the Lakers? Because I do. Yeah, no, I, I, I do too. Uh, I'm, in, I'm very excited for that round. I'm very excited to see what the Lakers, because obviously, you know, they had some trouble with Trailblazers and Damian Lillard, but then they started coming together and, you know, you saw more, uh, continuity and uh, chemistry, like exactly what we were, we should be seeing from the Lakers. Um, and I'm excited to see if they could come out and dominate their next opponent. Uh, you know, I'll take them in the final. I'll take them against the Clippers. I'll take them in the finals. But if they come out and they have trouble against these teams, because these aren't, this isn't a breeze. E- either one of these teams are, is going to go down to the wire with them. And I think it's a big test for the Lakers. And I think it's going to be the biggest test to see if, you know, if they're really up for the task to be the West. Uh, you know, guy in the finals. So I guess maybe this is uh, Laker hater Aaron speaking, but <laughs> I would pick either, uh, and really depending on, on on Westbrook's health, but I would pick either one of those teams to beat the Lakers in the second round. And I know I just really? we just dumped all over Houston, but like I could see the Rockets beating them in seven. I could see Oklahoma City beating them in seven, and I'm gonna. Go out on a limb and say that either one of these teams will beat the Lakers in seven. So there you have it. Wow. I'm doing wow. it. I'm doing it. I, I <laughs> it's it's Laker hater Aaron, because I have this WhatsApp group with a bunch of LA guys, and I just I, I can't stand it. And uh I, I wish bad things for the Lakers. So Lakers are losing in the second <laughs> round. You heard it here first. Yep. Um Miami, right. Miami and Milwaukee. Uh game one was last mm-hmm. night. Uh, your thoughts on game one? Uh, I mean, that was a great game. That was one of the best games of this playoff series, like the playoffs in total. Um, you know, I, I love, you know, obviously I'm a big Bulls fan, if anyone follows me on Twitter. Um, I've always loved Jimmy Butler, you know, always have love for him. And uh, he just played me out of too. his mind. You know, he was he was Jimmy G Buckets last night, you know, and the G stands for Get, you know, uh, to Stacey King. Uh and uh, he's someone that, you know, if he continues to play like that, he could come out of the East for me. And, but the biggest thing that comes down to it is Giannis has to be better down, uh, down the stretch. And, you know, he, he gets into foul trouble too quickly. Um, and I also know that the, the, the Bucks were the leader in pace in the regular season and in the bubble. And they just didn't play with any pace or in the fast break at all against the Heat. You know, that, that's credit to the Heat's defense. But I think the Bucks need to stop, you know, trying to con- trying to play into the Heat's defensive scheme and just play their game. 
you know, play in the fast break, get those threes up, get Giannis in the fast break. Um, and I think, you know, I don't think I'm really worried about the Bucs, um, but I think they just have to, you know, kind of stick to their game and not try to play to the heat. Well, that was going to be my next question because I've been riding the Bucs all year. I picked them to win the finals. Um, should I be worried about the Bucs? I say no for right now, but a couple of things. Yeah, it was, a, it was a bad Giannis game. And it's funny you mentioned the foul trouble because he actually only finished with three fouls. But I did right. think that getting the three fouls early kind of threw him off his rhythm. Um, right. The guy I was nervous about who really got torched yesterday on defense, who's a good defender, was Chris Middleton. I mean, Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. yep. just absolutely destroyed him. And and the Bucks really come yep. down to Middleton. And Giannis didn't have a good game, but it's really Middleton who shot the ball okay. But, like, he was so bad defensively that it was, it was kind of embarrassing. Um, yeah, you need more from Giannis. Uh, but I, I do think he'll figure it out. Um... A couple of I mean, pro-Miami Br- things for a second. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and, like, they, they hit on all cylinders. You know, Bro- Brooke Lopez played great. Uh, I was a fan of how Eric Bledsoe played. Uh, you know, Kyle Korver gave them some significant Well, he minutes. was, out, he was out last night. Bledsoe was out last night, which I actually oh, think right, is, right, 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 right. is better for the Bucks in a sense, because I do think George Hill is um, – is kind of a better fit with just, with the starters yeah. and just the way he spaces the floor. I was thinking about him. Apologies, uh, but um, I think I think you know they were hitting on the cylinders. I think they just got beat by the Heat, and you know Giannis has to be better. But I'm not worried about them at all. Yeah, a couple of pro Miami things, um, and and I actually think Bledsoe in the in a, I said he kind of helps that he was out, but not. I guess that's not really true because he's another body you could have thrown at Jimmy Butler because he's an excellent on-ball defender. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, Jimmy Butler was great last night. I mean, I absolutely love Tyler Hero. I, mm-hmm. Just the, the moxie and the swagger. Um, yeah. Bam Adebayo, I know he didn't score a lot, but he he really did a good job defensively and just did all the little things. He scored just enough. It's going to be a tough right. series. I mean, I mean, my bold prediction was I think these are the two best teams in the league mm-hmm. right now. In the league? In the, in league. the league? And I think the winner wow. of this series is going to win the title. Wow. I, I really do. I, I like these teams a lot, a lot. But I, I, I think this goes seven. I do think the Bucks win in seven. But – I'm not nervous about it yet, but I, I, after game two, I, I, depending on how game two goes, even if Milwaukee wins, I may be a little nervous because, like as you mentioned before, Jimmy Butler, like also another guy who's very uh, polarizing among NBA fans, I'm a, I've always been a Jimmy Butler fan. Always been a Jimmy yeah. Butler fan. And I think, I think there's something about this Heat team that, that needs to be, uh, you know, watched out for if they win this series and even if they don't win this series because Pat Riley's always up to something. Uh, so right. we just had a game to conclude as we were recording the Celtics yep. take game two. They were yep. down most of the game, take game two, 102 to 99. It literally just finished. So now they're up to in right. the second round. Did you see this yep. coming? Uh, you know, I thought there was a chance. You know, to be honest with you, um, and I think that it comes down to 
they're getting unbelievable, you know, efficiency and minutes from so many people. You know, uh, I was watching the beginning of uh, the, the fourth quarter before we got on, and Marcus Smart, he had 19 points total in the game. He had 16 in the fourth quarter. He hit four straight threes. Um, and if you're going to get four straight threes from Marcus Smart, make Kyle Lowry play him, you know, a few feet behind the three-point line, I mean, what else are you going to do? You know, if you're getting that efficiency from Marcus Smart and then you have Kemba and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, um, you know, they had Grant Williams, who's a good shooter. If they're going to have those guys off the ball, if they're going to get these minutes from Marcus Smart and, you know, get 16 points in the fourth quarter, five threes in a row and make Kyle Lowry guard him that far back and then have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, all these prolific scorers and make the defense contain uh, Marcus Smart. I don't see how you're going to guard that at all. I don't see how you can even contain that. And if you're going to get these great minutes and great efficiency from players like that, um, that's just too much for me. And if they're going to continue getting that, then they're going to come out of the East. I, uh, I can't agree more. I mean, I've kind of always been a Marcus Smart detractor. I've uh, always right. said that like, while he does all those little things super well, that don't show up on a box score. He's one of those guys who who's kind of like, and I got this guy when he shouldn't be. And I got this guy, but if he's going to shoot six for 11 from three, like you're going to live with that, right? You're going to live with that. If you're Toronto, because you can't take everything away. You want him shooting 11 threes because most of the time it's not going to be six for 11. I mean, they got away with a, um, you know, uh, Kemba shot poorly from, from three and, and Tatum today, had, you know, a Tatum-like game where he was awesome, but he didn't have a great game one. I mean, for me, it, you know, Van Vliet can't shoot eight for 22 and three for 12 from three and for them to have a chance to win. And yep. the other no, thing uh, yeah. is, is and, and, see, and Serge Ibaka, after not having a great game one, had a, had a solid game two. I mean, Marcus Gasol is only playing 21 minutes now. It, it seems to be like, this isn't the series for him, you know, and I had this question going into the series about Siakam, like the, the meteoric rise of Siakam has been well-documented and he had a great year this year, but like, could he be the guy, uh, you know, the number one option on a playoff team? Because right now going into, I guess this series to me, like Fred Van Vliet was their most dangerous offensive player. And that's, not really what you want against this Celtics team for how long yeah. they are on the wings. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, but I, I, I am a big believer that this last two games are more of a statement from the Celtics than it actually being a demise of the Raptors. You know, they're making the defensive end look so, so, you know, simple. What they're doing is Pascal, Fred Van Vliet, they live at the free throw line. They, they live and breathe the free throw line and, you know, they love to get into those into the post-up situation. Well, Pascal loves to get into the post-up situation, get that little hook and and one. But what the Celtics are doing is they're guarding him with a smaller player, and he's just staying down the whole time. There's no jumping. There's help defense down the stretch. There's no swiping. There's just containment. And it's really throwing Fred and Pascal off their game, and it's make, they make it look so simple. But just it's, it's And I think it's just more in the sense that the Celtics have such a, you know, great game plan and great defensive mindset uh, rather than, you know, Pascal being a problem. And the post-up of Siakam just 
it hasn't been effective. It just hasn't. Yeah. You know, I, I watched right. bits and pieces of tonight's game uh, while I was uh, pre- prepping for uh, the episode. And, you know, it wasn't effective in game one. It wasn't really effective in game two either. I mean, they're and Nick Nurse, who is considered, you know, one of the three best coaches in the league, and rightfully so, like he he'll make adjustments. But I'm shocked he didn't make more of an adjustment today. Right. That was surprising. Because, because I, I feel like they are getting what they want. They're getting Pascal in, that, in the mid-range. They're getting Fred and Kyle Lowry good looks from three. But the Celtics are just playing great help defense and great team defense overall. Their intensity is high. They're everyone on the court. Something that I didn't think would ever really work, but it does, is their flexibility. You know, one through five, they can really switch. And, you know, Tatum can guard Pascal to Kyle Lowry. And it's really, really, you know, messing up all their games. And regardless if the Raptors are getting what they want, they're not getting in terms of, like, how easy they usually get and how fluid. So how do you see this uh, this series playing out? Because as, you know, as skeptical as I was of the Raptors, I, I can't imagine this this series isn't at least a six-game series. Yeah, no, I, I don't think this is going to be a four-game series. That is looking like obviously they won the first two games. I say it goes five or six, but if the Celtics keep playing this way and keep getting minutes, you know, 11 points from Robert Williams, uh, it's just too much, and it's too much to handle. All right, so before we let you go, um, first of all, great stuff as always. We're going we're gonna to have to do just a quick rundown of predictions for how round two is going to go. So let's start mm-hmm. in the east. Um, Bucks, Miami. Just to recap, uh, I say Bucks say, in seven. What do you say? Yeah, I would agree. I think I think Giannis, he's too much. He's too much, and he's going to figure it out. He's going to figure out a way to take over the game. And I think the, you know, I've had the Bucks coming out of the East for a long time. So I, I think the Bucks, you know, it was a little trip up in the road, but I think it'll be fine. Um, Toronto, Boston. We just spoke about it a little bit. But what's your official prediction? Celtics in five. I got I got Celtics in six. Uh, moving to the West, we have uh, the winner of Denver, Utah against the Clippers. Uh, you know, oof. I'd say Clippers in six. Clippers in six regardless. I've got Clippers in five regard. Five against Utah, six against Denver. Um, yeah, you know, and, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And Lakers... You got you like the Lakers uh, against Houston and OKC. Mm, OKC, I think they would sweep. To be honest with you, Houston wow. it goes to seven. Houston it goes to seven. Wow, no out. respect for yep. OKC. No respect. I love the team. I love those. I love those youngsters, but I think it would be too much. They don't have something. Dort can't contain LeBron. Sorry. Whoever's playing the Lakers in seven, that's it. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. Aaron, this was this was wonderful. Uh, thanks again for coming on. We're, we'll probably have right. to do it again, and um, hopefully, I, I can return the favor on uh, on your show yep. as well. Um, yes. Just remind everybody where they can find your stuff. Yeah, uh, Pearlstein and Aaron on Twitter or SilverWavesMedia.com. You know, come check it out. Mock Shot's going to come out soon. Nice. Nice. Who, who, who do you who do you have the Knicks taking? The Knicks. 
you know, I love the eighth spot, to be honest with you. I'm really not upset. And I have them taking uh, Killian Hayes. Uh, probably a lot of people have arguably the best player in the draft. I say I haven't fallen down to eight in New York. I'm for it for the little that I know about it. I'm for it. All right. Uh, Aaron, thanks again for, uh, for your time. It was awesome. And we'll, we'll do this again soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks again to my guest, Aaron Perlstein. Uh, great conversation with him, talking a little playoff hoops. That's episode 87 for the love of the game. Take us out, Nicky Nick. What I tell him, hope. Bow, bow, bow to me, drop down to your knees. Your money, the mafia, that's where the love sees. I'm in the Dominican, big poppy Ortiz. Doing target practice, all these groupies just same in the police. Shout out to the CEO, 500 degrees. Shout out to the OVO, Red Wings and Fatigues. Ah, oh, so wanna be friends. How coincidental? This supposed to be our year, we ain't get the memo. A young king, pay me a gold. 40 got a bunch of weed, he ain't even roll. These niggas be dropping songs, they ain't even cold. Weezy on top of that, they ain't even home yet. Yeah, be very afraid. These other rappers getting bodied and carried away. Fuckin' me and Nicky Nick getting married today. And now you bitches that be hatin' can catch a bouquet. Ooh, yeah, you a star in my eyes. You and all them white girls, party of five. Are we drinking a little more? I can hardly decide. I can't believe we really made it. I'm partly surprised. I swear, damn, this one for the books, man. I swear this shit is as fun as it looks, man. I'm really trying to make it more than what it is. Cause everybody dies, but not everybody lives. I can have this moment for life. For life. For life. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube